Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by Hannah Woodhead, film critic and associate editor at Little White Lies magazine. Hello, Hannah. Hi, Sam. Thank you for podding. Thank you for having me. I feel like when you when this podcast came to fruition I tweeted you and now I'm finally doing it and I'm very excited. I'm sorry it's taken so long it was last year as we we did a sort of an end of the year roundup pod there were quite a few very good films that were eligible for this film festival so it was amazing to get a tweet from you to be like <laughs> let's do this one. Straight away straight out no messing around I was like revenge thrillers straight away yeah 90 minutes come on let's do this but it's been I think you know you want to ease people into it as well you don't want to go straight in like here's a horribly brutal film about hitmen. That's true so, actually you know. the first couple of films in the festival are comedies but I think as we do more we're, get, we're aging up we're getting the certificates <laughs> are getting a bit higher we're maturing <laughs> and then yeah here we are so your job is watching movies L- literally my job yeah it's the biggest scam in the world don't let anyone convince you otherwise if you ever meet a film critic who's like oh yeah my job no no I, I, I find it very hard when I go to festivals and when I meet critics who've been doing it a long time and they're jaded because I'm still like films are the best thing ever and I'm so excited and you know Little White Lies is the magazine that I started reading when I was about 15 years old it's kind of crazy to be now you know working on it every single day so. It's such a beautiful and very unique magazine. Um, oh, thank you very I'm, much. Uh, I am an avid subscriber. Outside of work, do you also watch movies for pleasure? Is it, or is that a bit too much <laughs> like bringing your work home with you? I think once you become a film critic, you kind of have to just give up and be like, this is my life now. And, you know, no, no one gets into this job for the money. So you have to kind of have this real like full bodied, like this is my whole life. This is who I am as a person. My identity is movies. So for me, yeah, there's no kind of, distinction between being at work and being at home (laughs) having said that I can switch off I'm not constantly watching things like "Mm, yes my critical eyes telling me you know I went to see Punch Drunk Love the other night which is 90 minutes I believe and I was like laughing the whole way through I was just like having an absolute ball so you know I think it's important when your whole life is watching movies to be able to relax but I am constantly thinking about movies constantly waiting to see another movie so my my whole identity basically and i guess when you're watching films for work the runtime doesn't really matter because you have to watch it you got to review exactly. it you got to do the interview but when it comes to movies in your home life does runtime ever come into it i do love a 90 minute movie i'm very like if i find out something is 90 sub 90 minutes i'm like this is amazing it doesn't really feel like i'm watching a movie so you know because tv is like 45 minutes now so i could watch two episodes of mad men or i can watch one movie and i always feel like i've accomplished more if i watch a movie than than tv so but i mean you know i think it very much depends on the film like i would very happily sit through uh the house that jack built which is two and a half hours and then i'd very happily sit through something that's 80 minutes it's just kind of what i'm what i'm in the mood for i think so when we got in touch and, well, when we announced the film festival and you, and you saw what we were doing, it sounds like you had a pretty good idea <laughs> of what you wanted to do. Yeah. Was there anything else that you considered? <laughs> oh, now I'm like, all the 90 minute movies I know have gone out of my head. I 
before we started recording this episode, I mentioned that I'm a big fan of Shrek and I was heartbroken to realise it's like 93 minutes or something, so therefore not qualified. But the movie I've chosen was one that I was very passionate about last year and was like advocating to anyone who came within a sort of 10 mile radius of me. And one of my selling points was, it's 90 minutes. So, you know, I feel like if I recommend a film to someone and it's 90 minutes, then they're not like having to spend too much of their energy on it. Well, maybe not in this case. It is quite, I think you do have to spend quite a lot of energy on it. But, you know, I wouldn't want to tell someone to go and watch a three-hour movie and then them hate it. I feel like I would have stolen something from them. But 90 minutes, I'm like, well, you know, take, take a punt on it. So it's true. This is quite a nice, you know, like it's not too much of a commitment. So yeah. hopefully you'll like it. And you know what? It's not that much time. Yeah, it's exactly. It's like four episodes of Friends. Yeah, <laughs> and I think this is far more enjoyable than four episodes of Friends. <laughs> I would like to see the Friends cast recreate this film. I think at this point <laughs> we should ask Hannah, what film did you choose for the festival? I have chosen Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. From celebrated director Lynn Ramsey, we need to talk about Kevin, You Are Never Really Here is a powerful and intensely thrilling reworking of the crime genre. A tormented but brutal hired gun sets out to rescue a young girl from a sex ring, only to find himself weathering a storm of violent vengeance when matters go awry. Featuring a career best performance from Joaquin Phoenix as a solitary and deeply troubled underworld mercenary, You Were Never Really Here is a stylish and brutal tale of vengeance and corruption. Oof, what a a, a synopsis. I I very much enjoyed your reading of it. I would like to hear you do the kind of like, in a world where, you know, I think that would be very nice. The trailer read. But that's that's quite a lot that they're packing into that synopsis. Violence, vengeance, thrilling. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to sell that to the kind of like John Claude Van Damme crew, aren't they? Yeah, which is maybe not the approach I would have taken. I think, and I think that's something this film probably suffered from a bit was people didn't really know what they were getting themselves into and then got to the cinema and were like, what the hell? Like, I was I was here for Joaquin Phoenix bashing people's heads in. I didn't expect to have feelings. Yes. Like. <laughs> Nina. Her name is Nina. I've heard of these places. Underage girls. Senator, if she's there, I'll get her. Cleary said you were brutal. I can be. Can you remember when you first saw this movie? Yeah, uh, very well. I was at the London Film Festival and I guess it would have been 2017. So this was a month before I began my job at Little White Lies to cast your minds back to 2017. I was very excited to be at London Film Festival. It was my first one since I moved here. And I was like, oh, this is so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a critic. I'm covering this for a, a website. I'm very excited. And I was super excited to see You Never Really Here because I had seen, we need to talk about Kevin in my first year of university and totally kind of, I wouldn't say fallen in love with it. I was just very like obsessed with it. I was like, this is one of the most kind of electrifying things I've ever seen. It really changed how I looked at film and how, and really what I wanted to do with my career. Maybe kind of want to become a critic. So I was like, yes, great. Then Ramsey's back. So super excited for this. And then I went and watched You Never Really Here. It was like 10 a.m. press screening, came out and was just like, oh dear God, like that was the most intense. I don't think I breathed the entire duration of the film. And luckily it's only 90 minutes, so that was fine. <laughs> but 
it was, yeah, this like bleak, really stunning film that I was sort of unlike anything else. And again, from the cattle description, I would have never guessed kind of what I was about to bear witness to. But I hadn't like seen any of the reactions out of can to it. So I, t- I did just totally go in completely blind. And that doesn't happen to me very often because I'm so immersed now in the world of film. It was really one of the last times I can remember being truly kind of like absolutely awestruck by a film that's definitely on the film side if you can go in not knowing so much about it and the film can surprise you and this film is a really surprising movie yeah in in that respect i think when i saw it it was at a festival as well and i think they rushed maybe it was canned to finish it in time for the deadline so when i saw it it had no credits apart from (laughs) a film by lynn ramsey starring joaquin phoenix and that was it god yeah because the end credits actually are are quite not like quite good so that's yeah (laughs) and it won did lynn get a directing prize it won screenplay which lynn wrote and then working for best actor there's a wonderful clip of him at the prize giving ceremony where they announce his name and he's just kind of like what like (laughs) looking around the room like clearly had no idea uh, are you a Lynn Ramsey fan? I think we should also point out that Lynn is the first female director in the film festival with what? her only 90 minutes or less film. Yeah, because her other films, like, We Need to Walk Heaven is long. That's, like, a, that's a long yeah, one. In every sense. Like, <laughs> and I think her earlier ones are in that Shrek sort of length, like 93 minutes. <laughs> that's, that's how I refer to it, the Shrek land. The Shrek um, zone. Wow, I can't believe she's the first woman. I feel like I'm... I'm Doing a proud. I'm, I'm repping for the women. Yeah, I'm a big Lynn fan. I think she is probably definitely the greatest female director working today, if not the greatest director working today. Not to be, uh, you know, s- sweeping in my statement, but I, I adore her. I think she is a true visionary. I think I it's very rare to find a director who is so uncompromising in her vision and every film she makes feels like a Lynn Ramsey film. You know, she's only made four films, which I think is absurd. She's been doing it. 20 30 years now Mm. but she is unfortunately a woman and that means that she doesn't get as many opportunities as men and there have been a couple of instances where she's been attached to a project and it's just not happened so the lovely bones which went on to be made to film in oh gosh 2010 maybe a little bit i can't remember if it's pre or post kevin yeah it was was, she did kevin because she got sort of lost that one jane got a gun was after kevin oh yeah of course so both times, I think a man made the film in the end, <laughs> which is, you know, and I remember with Jane Got a Gun, there was a whole kind of, there were like memos about her being difficult to work with and things that were going around. So, you know, I think she's probably got a, r- a rough ride from the kind of Hollywood studio system. She left uh, The Lovely Bones because she didn't want it to be as close to the book as the production company did. And then Jane Got a Gun, I think it was to do with, I mean, to do with many things I'm sure but the ending she didn't want to give it a happy ending and right. the financiers wanted to, it to have a happy ending that's another trademark of a Lynn Ramsey film that's probably true, not yes. going to be a happy ending but yeah I you know I adore her and I think it's great that she gets to do these projects which give her the room to do what she needs to do I I've, I've said we need to watch Kevin is one of the most kind of shocking things I've ever seen in the cinema Lynn Ramsey's last few films have all been based on novels mm. and I always wonder what attracts her and I, I think it's worth mentioning her sort of potted film history of making and not making films because I think we wouldn't have films like you and ever really here if she hadn't have been kicked off the larger you know star yeah. driven Jane Got a Gun with Natalie Portman I think this is sort of like a like as a result of that she's like right I'm going to do my own thing low budget 
I'll get my mates. We'll be in New York. We'll do this short shoot. We'll turn it around real quick. And, yeah. I, and so I'm sort of thankful for the Jane Got a Gun thing, even though it sounds awful, that we now have <laughs> You Were Never Really Here. Oh, 100%. I would not trade You Were Never Really Here for 100 Jane Got a Guns. <laughs> and Jane I think Got we 100 all, Guns. We all saw how Jane Got a Gun worked out for the studio, didn't we? So, you know, I, I, I do kind of, and this is a general theme, uh, I've kind of noticed of these wonderful female directors making an absolutely wonderful film or a couple of absolutely wonderful films and then everyone's like make them do a marvel well, not make them do a marvel movie <laughs> but let them do a marvel movie you know like chloe Zhao and um mm. lucretia martel being offered black widow and i you know whilst i would love for them to get the opportunity to make the films that they're passionate about part of me loves that lynn ramsey is still making these kind of weird dark violent films he's very good at it and i would much rather have something like this that takes five years than a kind of half-baked blockbuster that means that she doesn't get to do something as beautiful as this. And whilst a lot of her films have similar tropes, definitely in terms of the, the things like the violence and the darkness, this is quite unique for her. I don't think she's done a film with as big a male lead as this. Like mm. Her other films are either with Kevin, it's split between the two characters, that Kevin and his mum, and in More Than Colour, it's it's all about Sam Morton's performance. Yeah. And Ratcatcher is a bunch of kids. So this is like dealing with a like an grown sort of middle-aged guy and uh, you know a complex male character and i think having lynn write for that sort of character is fascinating <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. yeah i was thinking about this earlier because i thought oh in the wrong hands this could have been a completely different sort of violent you know it would have been the film up. the back of the dvd <laughs> says <it is. laughs> exactly exactly yeah and i think it's that perfect marriage of having a director writer who is so sensitive and in tune with the story she's trying to tell but also wacky phoenix who just i mean you know having never met them i can't i can't really i can i can speculate which is what i'm about to do they just seem to kind of understand each other and understand perfectly the story they're trying to tell together which you know is I think it's a very rare thing and I feel every I've seen this film four times now and every time I feel kind of privileged that I get to watch it you know which is such a rare feeling when you spend your whole life watching movies you're just kind of like wow once in a while something comes along that really does feel special and that's this film for me totally something I'm really enjoying doing this podcast is people are curating my home viewing and <laughs> when you put this on I was like oh yeah I think I quite like that film it was I saw it a couple of years ago or whatever it was you know quite recent I think I remembered it re-watching it a couple of days ago I didn't remember half of the stuff it blew my mind and it was like a really nice you know experience to go through that again yeah especially because we're so kind of saturated and I'm sure that you as well working in film you know we we just do watch a lot of movies some good some bad and you do it's so nice to kind of revisit something recent that you remember liking and get more from it and the the 90 minute element of you never really hear is that she's doing so much like she's doing like gymnastics with, with that mm. 90 minute runtime you know it it feels so tight and so concentrated but there's so much going on and there's so much to kind of unpack and so many things she's trying to do there's this whole underwater sequence which again like I it just takes my breath away every time I see it and to kind of have that mastery and not need two and a half hours is like you know a real testament to her talent I think as a filmmaker I, I love the way it's been put together so there's lots of scenes where you see just before or just after mm. like quite a major piece but she doesn't show you 
like say it's violent the guy is a hitman joe played by Joaquin phoenix in this film and and they never really apart from on there's a scene where on cctv you see him walking around with his hammer which is used in a lot of the marketing you usually just see him just after the violence yeah <laughs> yeah and i think that's such a canny move because it doesn't it makes it not about the violence really mm. the cctv scene is like so tense and so shocking and you have this kind of like crooner song in the background sung by this woman and it's really really unnerving to watch but it's that implied violence and the kind of you know this the sight of the blood and the the kind of climactic scene i i try not to spoil it in case people haven't seen the movie but the kind of ending climax is so just what the hell you know and I yeah I think I I God I've already said you know I think this this could have been a total mess in someone else's hands but yeah I I really think that she understands what makes the character of Joe interesting and it's not that he's a violent man it's the kind of things that are going on inside his head the things that he's been through mm. all these hints we get of the kind of things that he's seen and the things that he's done we know that he was a soldier we see this kind of flashback of him giving a chocolate bar to a a child in the desert and we see him on an fbi raid of a human trafficking ring and we see him being abused as a child by his father and all these kind of glimpses that we get are used so economically that they just kind of stay in your head you get these like beautifully haunting images that just stick with you m o p i could go on all day Yes, you could. <laughs> Q R S T alphabetically speaking. You're okay. You make my life complete. V means you're very sweet. W X Y C whilst it is less than 90 minutes it is quite an experience and I think it's just because Lynn gives you I'm on first name terms with Lynn Ramsey now <laughs> uh, because Lynn just sort of shows you hints of mm. you know what the character is going through and it lets you fill in the blanks that's the joy you know it's show don't tell and I think with this they just like they don't even show you it's like they you can have a peek yeah. But then after that, you, you can think about him, what he's been through as a war vet and in when he was involved in the FBI and stuff. But we don't need the guy's like history. No, It's just no. like he's de dealt with some serious stuff and that's all in his head whilst he's being quite silly with green M&Ms or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a scene where he's talking to his the guy who employs him, I guess, and he crushes this. He's got this green jelly bean and he crushes it between his fingers and he's like, why are there never any green ones in the bowl? And the, and you can kind of hear like the the guy, the other guy's voice, like in this like background noise thing. Mm. And that's the other thing that's so kind of fascinating to me about the way this film is constructed. Like the soundscape in this film is just like phenomenal. You've got Johnny Greenwood's score, and Johnny is an absolute marvel, both on this film and Phantom Thread, which came out the same year. And you know, I think everyone kind of like was marveling over how beautiful his score was for that. But this for me is his like masterpiece and then you have all these sounds that just kind of infect your head there's this cat that purrs and the, the crunch of the jelly bean mm. and the sounds of the street and just you get a real sense for how overwhelmed he is by everything and how the only thing he really has control over is the violence and mm. you know his 
enactment of that that's a really like riveting thing to watch like this guy is so what's he's a big guy he's not he doesn't he's not really that threatening he's sort of like half paying attention to mm. stuff he walks around his house caring for his mum in his pajamas or whatever like but then but when, when there is an act of violence he's so quick yeah and he's got those those old skills i guess you're it's supposed to be implied you know he's still got it but it's just not the thing he's dealing with right now but i i loved the soundscape and i think it did win best sound editing at the british independent film awards Good. and then it didn't pick it up <laughs> anywhere else but it's to show the character's frame of mind like he's so focused on traumatic experiences from his past he's just like half present it's like he's just stumbling around and mm. he still vaguely remembers how to be a hitman so he can just <laughs> do that but he doesn't have to think about it it's a full dialogue isn't it between you the audience and lynn mm. at this point and, and what joaquin's doing it's like we'll just show them a little bit but like your brain is like working so much throughout this movie. I think that's what makes it quite a unique experience. Yeah. It's like 89 minute long conversation with Lynn Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I think, and that plays into the intimacy of it as well. Cause the times we see Joe kind of being happy and normal are when he's with his mum at home or when he's with the cat, mm. but this is, the film kind of opens with him having just completed a job and then he goes home to his mum and they have this, very sort of like comic like exchange where she's in the bathroom and he's like trying to get her to come out of the bathroom and then there's a little bit later on where they kind of do a riff on psycho mm. and there's just all these very like these such sweet tender moments and they're the kind of calm in the midst of the storm for him and it, it's just I don't think we kind of see that softness in Hitman movies. No, <laughs> you know, I loved I loved the John Wick movies, but we're not seeing John Wick sitting at home being soft. You know, I always <laughs> Whereas... wonder like, what do these like genre trips do when they're at home or when they're down <laughs> on a day off on a weekend? Yeah, and you this, know. I mean, this isn't quite a weekend, but it's it's focused more on his home life rather than his professional life. We can assume yeah. what happens. We yeah. see the body. You know, he was successful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, particularly at the beginning, you know, when you see him kind of having done this job. You know, I think the inference here of everything is so potent and sometimes and it's that old adage of what you don't see can be worse than what you do see mm. you know what you're inventing in your head the whole time especially with the girls who are the victims of sex trafficking it's it you know this is happening mm. and what you're kind of imagining is so much worse than what you're actually seeing but and i think that's maybe what one of the things people find confronting about this movie is that they're being asked to deal with a lot of very uncomfortable things but it's not been spoon-fed to them mm. so there's a whole kind of like government conspiracy going on as well which is just kind of part of what's happening you know it's not like a manchurian candidate no. <laughs> like we've got to expose the corruption see it's just like this is a horrible thing that's happening and this one guy recognizes that he cannot do a single goddamn thing about it mm. and he's going to do the one thing he can do which is what he's good at which is you know hurting people yeah <laughs> and you know i just to have that kind of insight into what it must be like is is exceptional it's the kind of character that i think you know it, it, it's a little bit reminiscent of like travis bickle or something but it's very much lynn ramsey's spin on that and lynn ramsey is a master of making you care about unsympathetic characters. I mean, mm. think about Tilda Swinton and Needs to Work Kevin, even Kevin and Needs to Work Kevin, you know, these kind of characters who are so cold and so incongruous to their surroundings, but she finds what makes them human and mm. makes you care and makes you interested in them as people. Absolutely. I think part of that is the quite intimate photography. Mm. Like, this is a really beautifully shot film by Tom Townend, who has worked with Lynn Ramsey for a number of years, right from when he was like first started out in the business. 
being like an assistant on Ratcatcher. Yeah. And here he is being like lead DOP. And there's so many shots that really like, just because of the photography, like make you sit up. Like there's a scene in a hotel room when some hitmen come in to try and kill oh. Joe and he, he ends up like breaking one's neck. But it's quite a traumatic scene and the camera sort of flips up to an overhead mirror. That that transition is amazing. Yeah, I think... I, I, God, yeah. I, I, in that same scene when there's a shot fired and you see this blood spatter on Joaquin Phoenix's face and on the wall behind him, and the wall's like this kind of weird green color. Mm. And I was like, the amount of kind of thought that has gone into like that's that shade of horrible green, you know. And uh, one of the things I caught on the rewatch that I kind of hadn't really thought about before was the opening credits where it's kind of you know you, you get this scene of him in a hotel room and him leaving the hotel and then he gets into a cab and that's when we get the opening credits and the beginning of that fantastic score by Johnny Greenwood and the title card comes up and I'm a bit of a title card nerd anyway I love a good title card and this one you never see the whole title of the film on the same frame which I think is fascinating it kind of all fades out before you've really had a chance to process it and I just you know I again I think it's you know there's something about Lynn I think she picks these people that kind of she feels comfortable with and she feels comfortable communicating her story with and maybe it comes out of you know the fact that her and Tom have worked together for so long but he that everyone seems to be reading from the same hymn sheet Mm. there's not one note in this film where somebody's kind of fudged it everyone seems as kind of full fully body committed as Joaquin is. They, they knew the, the, the restrictions around the shoot as well. I think Lynn Ramsey mm. said in interviews, you know, we had only had a window with Joaquin of like a few weeks and everybody was able to drop what they were doing, come to New York and they <laughs> shot it in real locations. They did a bit of like guerrilla photography on the street. As she was saying with Joaquin Phoenix that he he came for like the final stage of writing and just like hung out with her. Like he, that, that was his like <laughs> rehearsal process was just spending time with her. Yeah. Uh, so like, everybody was just up for it. But that's so nice to read about when the product at the end of it is such a great film. Yeah, and I especially I kind of compounded with all the trouble that Lynn has had getting movies made. It's nice to hear that this was a different experience and that this was a case of it all kind of coming together. Especially in New York, where apparently it is notoriously difficult to make movies, <laughs> which is very funny when you think about it, because it's, you know... And even in this film, New York's kind of incidental, which I think mm. is interesting. Everyone makes such a big deal of, like, the New York movie. But this is just, you know, you're so kind of aware of it being... Joaquin's film to command it could be anywhere and it's just you know the the kind of flashing lights and everything you almost don't even realize what's going on around him you're so in in the in exactly what he's doing at all times yeah it's kind of like his face is like the thing I think of when I think of this film because mm. it's usually quite tight on Joaquin Phoenix and then whatever's in the background is doesn't really yeah matter, it's you just, know it's just <laughs> we're like in his head more than where he actually and... is yeah yeah exactly yeah and there's this great quote from Roger Ebert about cinema being a machine for empathy and I think this is one of the greatest kind of examples of that you know it is a film that is so reliant on you connecting with this character and you know not agreeing with what he's doing but understanding the thought process and kind of understanding what's going on and I must shout out as well like there's this great scene at Joe's house where he's kind of you know these hitmen have come for him and he's you know often as it as as one does and one of them's dying and they kind of have this very brief exchange about the kind of situation the hopelessness of it all and Charlene's I've been to paradise is playing on the stereo which is a great great song fond memories of that from the Simpsons episode it was used in and he lies down next to him and they're kind of holding hands and just singing this song and it's this like moment of such surreal 
serenity amid all this kind of chaos and the blood and the fact this guy is literally bleeding out on his kitchen floor mm. but you know that's the that's the magic of this it just makes complete sense you're like yeah this guy would do this because he's so lonely and so broken and the only thing that makes sense to him in that moment is to kind of lie there and sing this stupid pop song with this dying hitman you know and i think for a filmmaker to be able to create this completely different world and have me so enraptured that at 90 minutes I come out and I'm like, I, I cannot remember having taken a breath the whole time is, you know, remarkable. I think it's it's picking all of those things we don't often see and the way Lynn wraps them up, it gives you such a unique viewing experience and it flies by. It is a short film anyway, but it does fly by. Yeah, there's not <laughs> yeah, an ounce of like, fat on this film. Not at all, but it feels like <laughs> the most complete viewing experience. Yeah, it, I mean, it. it does exactly what you want a film to do. A, a, a great film is great storytelling and this is great storytelling. It tells you a complete story in a very remarkable way in a very tight time frame. Where is he? Where's Nina now? Williams. Governor Williams? She's his, his favorite. We trade them. I'd really like to talk about the final scene of the film. Yes. Which is oh. so disturbing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess to set it up, Joe has sort of done the job and he's rescued Nina, who's the girl he's saving from the sex ring. She, I think, doesn't have that many lines in the film at all, but she does talk to him at this scene. They're drinking their milkshakes. Uh, she goes to the bathroom. He pulls a gun out and shoots himself. Out of nowhere. And it's the loudest gunshot in yeah. cinema history. I was kind of traumatized <laughs> and the best thing about that scene is the waitress who's yes! walking by covered in blood and doesn't react to it at all and the guy you hear this voice because you can kind of hear these snippets of conversations and you hear this voice go you're not supposed to have butter <laughs> <laughs> that, that always sticks with me for some reason i don't know why but and then yeah she just hands she just puts the bill on the table and of course this all ties into the title you know it's like oh did any of this happen was he was he ever really here who knows mm. but yeah i mean this kind that's the most violent moment in the film and it's so confronting because you're like he saved the girl everything's gonna be okay and then that happens and you're like, okay, I'm watching a Lynn Ramsey movie about a hitman, you know, and a hitman who is very mentally unwell, you know, but then she brings it back round. Yeah, and, with the fake out. Know, the fake <laughs> out. One of the best fake outs in recent cinema history. Uh, it's two audible gasps. Like when I, I've seen it in the <laughs> cinema twice and both times, myself included, like, whoa, that was yeah. a loud gunshot. Didn't see that coming. And then the reveal and everybody just exhaling. Yeah. Like, what a thing to do in the last two or three minutes of your film. Yeah, I got And I think we need it as well as an audience because it's been so bleak, especially for poor Nina. And then, you know, for them to have this moment of kind of understanding right at the end where she pats him on the shoulder so gently and says like wake up joe you yeah. know it's just that I, I keep using the word tender but it really is just such a human film lynn ramsey's you were never really here is part of the 90 minutes or less film festival i was wondering so lynn ramsey's last few films have all been based on novels yes do you have like a dream lynn ramsey directing novel that you quite enjoy project that if you if you could green light movies you'd just make that happen oh you know i'd maybe like to see her do wide sargasso sea i think it's interesting that she 
She did. She, we need to talk about Kevin was by Lionel Shriver, who's a woman, and then this is by Jonathan Iams, who's a man. And I'd like to see her do another kind of another female adaptation with a strong. Uh, oh, I was going to say strong female lead. No, <laughs> with a female lead, every female is strong. Um, or maybe something by Chuck Palahniuk, because I feel like men always do, adapt oh, his that movies. Would be a great combination. You know? I, think. I feel like <laughs> Invisible Monsters is twenty this year. Maybe if she got her hands on that, it would be kind of it would be fun. I really just want her to keep making beautiful films. I don't care if they're from books or otherwise. No, absolutely. <laughs> I, I hope they don't leave it. I think it was six years between the gap yes. between Kevin and this. I'm hoping yeah. it's not another six years. <laughs> so at our screening, we're going to get this back on the big screen with Tom Townend's beautiful cinematography and Johnny Greenwood's <laughs> amazing score playing in the cinema. If you could add an event element to this screening, what would you do? Oh, I think we definitely get uh, Johnny down to do a, a live score for us. That's my dream in general is to see Johnny Greenwood do a live score. But I think for this film as well, because the, the score is such a kind of key part of it for me and a key part of my enjoyment. There would be green jelly beans for all. Maybe some cats wandering around, you know, for some ambience. And comfy seats. Massive for this one. Comfy seats. There's a great interview with Lucretia Mertel, who I keep mentioning on this podcast, where she says that the biggest compliment to her is when someone falls asleep in her films because they feel comfortable and she wants people to feel comfortable. This movie, I don't think you could fall asleep, especially not at that gunshot because it's, you know, it's all very loud. It's a loud movie. But I think in that, because it's so tense and so kind of shocking, you want people to feel swaddled like... Beautiful newborn babies, <laughs> you know, some, some comfortable seats, low lighting, good temperature, you know, and, jo- and Johnny Greenwood there in the room. Sounds like such a nice, warm experience to yeah. come in. I'd quite like to work the hammer into the screening. Not sure entirely how, because the hammer, of course, in the film is used for quite nefarious sort of purposes. But I was thinking maybe as people go in, the the people who are like welcoming people to the cinema, maybe it's me and you, we're there, and we just give everyone a hammer. And they're like, why have you been given a hammer? Some people would have seen the movie already, and they're like, oh, my God. And other people are just bemused. But when they get there, maybe they have to build their own comfy chair. Oh, so it's like a go. fake out. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're they expecting think... me to kill someone with a hammer. Oh, no, I just have to make a chair. That's okay. I mean, I would be worried about giving people hammers. We'd collect them all in before the film starts. <laughs> if we put a number on them, we're like, right, who's and got number six? they'd be safely six, disposed you know? of, stored during the film. <laughs> maybe just like chocolate hammers. Chocolate hammers. That's, chocolate that's hammers. less hassle. There we go. There we go. Chocolate hammers for all. <laughs> I think that would be a nice, a nice thing to do. I can't believe they didn't do that. I, yeah, I come feel on, like DVD guys. Your studio canal missed a trick with their marketing campaign. One last question, a question I like to ask. Do you think this film could or should be longer than 90 minutes? I think it could be. I don't think it should be. I think it's, you know, it, it, it is perfect just the way it is. <laughs> That's the best answer. Well, there we have it. You Are Never Really Here is screening at the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival with live appearance from Johnny Greenwood <laughs> playing this amazing yet disturbing soundtrack. A soundtrack that I love and I own on, on vinyl. I was oh, so do I. It's a beautiful vinyl. It. There's never a right time to listen to it. <laughs> I started yeah. listening to it whilst I was doing some cooking, and it felt some tracks, stressful. Yeah, like I was chopping an onion to some of the sort of more upbeat tracks. I'm like, yeah, chopping the onion, this is good. And then there's some other tracks. You're like, oh my god, put the knife away. <laughs> I'm going to sit down. <laughs> I'm like that with the good time score as well. I also own that on uh, vinyl, and yeah, it's like picking your moments to play this. I might like at house party, just like sticking that on. Yeah, <laughs> sits, your real friends are the ones who stay. Right? <laughs> So Hannah, where can people read more of your work and find you on the internet? Oh, you can read my work at Little White Lies website, which is ldulies.com. You can follow me on Twitter if you want. You know, I, I do tweet a lot. I apologise. I 
don't have anything better to do in my time. I'm at Good Job Liz, which is a Lars von Trier reference for those curious. And I'm on our Little White Lies podcast if you fancy hearing me do more of this, which is Truth and Movies from all good podcast places. Uh, a truly excellent podcast uh, with oh, lots of great thanks. critics on there. Did you, I was wondering actually, did you review this film for Little White Lies? I did, yeah. I wrote the review. It is on littlewhitelies.com and on the poster for the film actually as well. It was what my, one of my very first reviews I wrote for Little Allies when I started and one of the things that I'm still most proud of as a writer, I was really, really proud of my review for that. Oh, <laughs> I'm now just bigging myself up. I'm like, I did some good writing about this. I'll have you all know. Well, but, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll make sure we share that on our on our social media feed as well. I think it'd be good. Oh, Listen to the pod, read your review and then watch the film. Come on guys, and rewatch this movie. Tweet me your opinions <laughs> about it. Let's have a good old chat about Lynn. Thank you, Hannah, for being on the podcast and Thank for choosing for such a brilliant film it's been a delight to talk about this so you know one of my favorite movies favorite director on this lovely podcast awesome that's far far too kind Uh, (laughs) thank you so much and thank you listeners for listening to our voices very much appreciate that if you liked what you listened to then give us a rating give us a review on itunes you can subscribe you can give a star rating maybe a couple of words be nice to hear (laughs) from you it really makes a difference especially for quite a small show like ours if you want to see what we're up to you can follow us on social media at 90 min film fest on twitter and instagram we will be tweeting Hannah's review of the movie and the show was produced by me sam clements and louise owen our music is by Martin Ostwick. The show is edited by Luke Smith and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye.